Today, uh, this sermon is going to be entitled, uh, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. And so many times, we don't do the acting part. Um, we're going to talk, basically, we're going to be talking about the words of Jesus and what he said this morning from Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Uh, sometimes, it's, like Bronson said, a lot of these words that Jesus said are pretty tough. They're pretty hard. We don't, we don't like to really uh, get the little, you know, the little... Come on, do, do the right thing. It's, it's easy to do the wrong thing. It's like I heard, heard a guy saying this week, you know, have you ever had to teach your children how to lie? Or did anybody ever have to teach you how to lie? No, it's just part of the nature, the fallen nature that we have. So when Jesus tells us things that he wants us to do, sometimes they're hard because our own nature, our own sinful nature that we were born with wants us to just do whatever we feel like, you know. And as we become Christians, then our, our, our life changes. You know, we, we're no longer in the sinful lifestyle. We change and we're reborn into a lifestyle of Christ, which means we try to live like Christ. We try to live that righteous life, which just means right living. Um, so it's hard sometimes, though. The old man keeps wanting to shake us and say, come on, let's go do this, let's go do that. And it's like I have to fight him off all the time. So it's, if you're like me, it's just, it's just part of the sin in this world, and we can make it. Because in Philippians 4.13, it says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So here we are today, week eight, finishing up what he said. It's a great conclusion from what Jesus, were the famous words from his Sermon on the Mount, a great, great sermon. Um, it was a long sermon, but he gave us a lot of good things, the Beatitudes and a whole lot of things when all of these words come from here. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever told somebody you would do something and then didn't do it? For whatever reason, you know, maybe to start with, you just, in your mind, when you tell them, yeah, I'll do it, you knew at the beginning you weren't going to do it. Or, or maybe it simply just was very unintentional, you got busy and just forgot to do it sometimes. Or maybe a crisis came into your life, and before you could accomplish that task that you told the person you would do, that crisis took you off track and put you in, an, in another mode, and, and you were just trying to survive yourself. And, and then when you got through that crisis, you remembered that, hey... I told that person I'd do something, but I didn't do it, you know? And I guess the old saying that we have with these sayings that we have, I guess the saying that would fit here, that would fit here uh, more is, is that um, our actions speak louder than words. You ever heard that saying, our actions speak louder than words? It's kind of like a picture paints a thousand words, or a picture's worth a thousand words. Our actions, if somebody asks us to do something, we say we'll do it. Doing that, it lets us, let people know that we're, we're, we're true to our word, we're good. And when God asks us to do something or his word tells us we should or should not do something, and we, we read it and we hear it, we speak it, but we never take action and do it. It's just like, mm, I, oh, well, I forgot. You know, I don't have time. It's like, what do you think God's feeling like? You know, my son, my daughter, you know, you told me you was going to do this, and you just, you just dissed me. You just didn't do it. Christen. How's that? Well, I mean, that's like, why, why do we do that sometimes? We all do it. We all, we all, if I ask you to raise your hands, we all have to say, I raise your hands. It's like, it's tough sometimes. So our goal in responding to the scriptures, is, which are Jesus' words, is always should be not just hearing and saying, but we will take action and do what he asks us to do, okay? Let me tell you a little story about myself, about uh, uh, making a promise one time. Me and my brother... My brother's just, just, he's about 18 months younger than I am. And we were very close growing up. We were very competitive. 
And we, it was school was out in the summer. We, we were uh, hanging out at home, you know, doing, doing our thing. We had a neighborhood, had a lot of guys in the neighborhood, and we'd all meet at somebody's house. A lot of time, most of the time, our house, and we would play ball and different stuff, kickball, softball, baseball, mostly baseball. And one day, my dad comes in from work, and he says, son, got me and my brother together. He said, you know, we had a certain day we were supposed to cut the grass, and I think it might have rained or something that weekend. We didn't get it cut in the weekend, and so, the, you know, the, the wheat was kind of moving on, and the grass hadn't got cut. So my dad told us one day, he said, he said, boys, when I come home from work tomorrow, I want the grass cut when I get home. Yes, sir. We'll get it done. So we get up the next morning and we, you know, kind of put it off in the morning. It was a little early, you know, hey, you know, the dude's out there. We need to wait a little bit. So we, we begin to, the, the, the gang begin to come over to the house. We begin to play ball. And as the day went on, we just played game after game after game. And I'll never forget the moment. I got my little bat. I'm waiting on the pitch. It's my turn. I'm waiting on the ball to come and I'm looking ahead and I can see uh, through the, the yard in front of us, there, the, the, our street was a dead end street and we, we were the only house on it. And I could see my dad's car turn the corner and start coming down the street and I'm like, drop the bat. Oh no, you, the fear went everywhere. And I, and I looked at my brother and I said, dad's home. He knew what that meant because we'd already told the guys, you know, hey, we got to get the grass cut today, so we can't play all day. We got to get the grass cut. So everybody scattered. They went everywhere. Me and my brother, we headed for the lawnmower. We thought, we get the lawnmower, we're cutting the grass, you know. He said, get it cut before I get home. But we're like, we're going to get the lawnmower. So here we're coming up from behind the house with a lawnmower, and this dad's getting out of the car, and he's like, boys, what did y'all tell me y'all were going to do today? Was I clear on what I said uh, your task was? We're, we're, we're doing it, Dad. We're doing it right now. It's like we hadn't even started. You know, we hadn't even got the thing fired up. So needless to say, we got a little reminder. <laughs> and that night at the dinner table was a little bit more uncomfortable sitting down to eat than it normally was, you know. But we got the grass cut a little late. But it was a great reminder Oh, what we need to do when we say we're going to do something. And sometimes I think that God is the same way. You know, God says he disciplined those who are his. And a lot of times we tell God, I'm going to do something. Or God, if you'll do this, I'll, I'll, I'll do this if you'll do this, God. If you, you know, we, we try to bargain with God a lot, and it's like it never works because God already knows the future. He already knows what's best for us. He knows what's bad for us. And so, you know, it, it's sometimes useless to try to bargain with God because you're never going to win because he knows best. And many, many times as I look back at my life, I am so glad God didn't give me what I asked for because hindsight's twenty twenty. they say. When I look back, I can realize how much of a blessing it was that God didn't answer the prayer the way I asked him to answer it. And then when I got into his word and began to grow in his word, I began to see how, how easier it was when I did what he said to do. If I had just listened to God, I grew up in church my whole life. As a teenager, I, I made a left turn somewhere and, and hung with the wrong crowd and got into a lot of trouble. Was very rebellious, very disobedient to my parents. They continued to love me and pray for me, you know. I'm glad God never gave up on me. But I wish when I was going to church as a teenager, I had applied God's principles to my life and lived according to his word. It would have made my life a whole lot easier. It would have made me a better person sooner. And the influence that I had on people instead of being negative would have been positive. There's still times in my life as I'm praying, 
that I remember some of the people that I hung out with and I wonder where they are today because I knew who God was and I even had professing to be my Lord and Savior. But I didn't act on his word. I let other people lead me to where I shouldn't have went. Instead of me leading them, I let them lead me. And I have a lot of regrets in my life because I wasn't letting my light shine before men. I didn't let those people know that there is a God. And I know for a fact that two or three of them had some terrible deaths. A lot of them were drug-related, killed, murdered. Uh, the rest of them, I don't know where all of them went to, but you know what? It's pretty sad that, that, that I had opportunities to, to to bring people to Jesus Christ, but I chose to turn my back on God and not to act on his word. Consequences, okay? Let's go to Matthew. Let's take a look at the scripture, what he said today. Week eight, final, final day. We're going to go to Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 27. Let's just read those and, and, and see what God's saying there. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and in thy name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then you have to take a look and say, now, wait a minute. And as we get into this, we learn that some of those people really had never been reborn, though they were going to church, maybe though they were acting like they were Christian, they weren't totally all in. But it says they cast out devils and they did miracles. You know, I remember when the disciples, when Jesus had sent them out two by two and they came back, they were excited. They were really excited. Oh, we, we, we were seeing the people, God, oh, oh, and people were getting saved and and oh, but you know what? We ran across some people and they were casting out devils in our name. They're not, one of, they're not, they're not part of us. They, you know, they're not your disciples. And I remember what Jesus told them. If they're not against us, they're for us. Leave them alone. So there are people who can just sometimes do the right thing at times. And even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Even he will do things sometimes. He'll do a miracle sometimes to make people think that this person is a prophet of God or whatever so that they can get a following. And then at some point in time, he'll take them on this little left turn. And people who are immature in the word and not really strong in Christ and don't know what he said will be strayed by someone who is a false prophet. But he's seen good. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Okay. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Actually, it's a double consonant there that says, I never, never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice we need to be not just a hearer, but a hearer and a doer. But does not put them into practice. It's like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the storms rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell, not just fall down, it fell, Scripture says, with a great crash. Wow. 
So we have here the conclusion that Jesus is bringing to this great, great Sermon on the Mount, this, this great many different things he was teaching people and sat down that day and wow, would it, wouldn't it have been awesome to sit on a hillside and listen to the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God who, who, who came to die for us on the cross to sit down at his feet and hear him begin to explain to us, this is how you should live your life. If you'll put me first in your life, I know there's a lot of pull on you. There's a lot of things dragging you different ways. A lot of things in society can pull us this way. Even the church sometimes can pull us so busy that we do so many things, we're so involved, we, we never have time to, to pray and to see God. We, we, we get so busy that we forget that God is the most important person in our life. And most of the time, he gets the least attention of anybody in our life. And I'm guilty of myself. We, I have to strive sometimes to be sure I take the time to, to, to get that prayer in and to lift up those who are under me. You know, I, I have about just under 100 people who I, who I shepherd at, at my work, and I pray for all of them every week. And it's hard some weeks. Um, pray for them many times. And some of them have special needs that they, they, they let me know about. And I lift those requests up, you know. That's why I walk around when I go out to my job sites to minister to these guys and to see what they're doing. I carry a note button there because there were times I said, Pastor, 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 this is going on in my life. Will you pray for me? Will you lift me up this week? I'm like, I got you, man. I got you back. And at the end of the day, when I get in my truck and I'm trying to, I don't know what was so-and-so telling me. It's about three guys told me that this is a need. I'm like, oh, man. So I'd have to pray that way. God, you, you know what these guys told me. I don't even remember. And I'm sorry, but you know their need. Please pray for it. Now I carry me a notebook with me. When they tell me something, I say, and I write it down. And then every day when I begin to do my prayer, I'm opening up my prayer list. And when I get to my office, I put it on my prayer list. I got, I got five sheets, lines after lines after lines. So this prayer request that I pray for every day, and it's growing. It's because I have learned over time that I can't always remember stuff. And there's a lot of stuff to remember when you have that many deaths. So we, we just ask God to help us, and we do what we say we're going to do. It's really bad when people come to you and say, you know, last week I asked you to pray for me about a certain thing. I'm like, yeah, thank you. you, you you're not going to believe how much God, oh, God, this real, oh, it's awesome. Thank you, thank you for praying for me. I'm like, when they leave, I'm like, oh, God, please forgive me. I, I even forgot. I didn't even say a prayer for them except that moment that they asked me. And I've learned when somebody asked me to pray, I'll pray that moment, and I write it down. And I really feel bad when, when they ask me and tell me what God did. And, it, and I realized that, you know what? I didn't even pray for them. It's pretty bad, right? I didn't do what I said. And it's even more sad when God tells me in his word how I should live and how easy it will make my life. And I don't act on that word. So let's take a look at verse 21. And he said, not everyone... On that, he said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is he saying? There's people who's going to say, Lord, Lord. What does that really mean? Lord, Lord. It really means he's my master. He's my king. He's the ruler of my life. And so people are going to call him Lord, Lord. Lord has shown that the entrance into the kingdom is through the straight gate. You know, he says, no man comes to the Father except through me. He said, there's a, there's, a, there's a path that leads to destruction. It's wide, and many is going to go that way. But there's a narrow path, a straight path that goes to heaven. And a few is going to go that way. Every time I, I think about that scripture, my heart breaks. Because I really, 
After living a lifestyle like I did in my life and finding Christ and realized that so many people are going the wide path. Many is going that way. And it's leading to destruction. And I know God never gave up on me. And I was able to turn my life around 180 degrees and get on that narrow path. And when I talk to people who don't know Jesus or who say they do know Jesus, but they don't, their actions, their lifestyle doesn't show that, it breaks my heart. And I can only imagine how God feels because he loves them more than anyone can. Not everyone implies that some people say, Lord, Lord, shall enter. Those enter who do the will of the Father, it says. Those who do the will of the Father will enter heaven. In 1 John it says, how do you know you're saved? Well, he answers the question for us. We don't have to wonder. Uh, let me see. He answers it. Keep my commandments. Pretty simple. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And I talked about that a little bit while ago. The Lord Jesus out the greatest class of non-doers to show that such will fail the interest. There's a large class of people sometimes, especially in our society today, the people, you know, who, who exalt themselves up and they think there are, there are our leaders, uh, our dignitaries that we vote on, sometimes they exalt themselves up. And when I see over the last, in my lifetime, to see, especially the last 25 years of some of the decisions that those people who we have elected and many of them Christians who have gone in and started making laws for our land and putting us in places, and it's like, how could they even do that? That's contrary to everything God ever said. But they pretend to be like, they're saved, they say they are. In election time, you wait, wait till next year, 2014, and you'll start hearing these people who are running for office are saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and they'll start going to church. They, they, they put up a front. There's these false prophets sometimes, these false things. And at the same time, there are people that sitting in the church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday who are in the same shape. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied anything? Lord, didn't we serve you? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Verse 22. Or verse 23. It says, I never knew you. Never must be accepted in a deeper meaning of recognizing the disciples, you know, we, it's to a point a lot of times when people ask me at work, are you a Christian? You know, we have new guys come to a job site and I've, I've talked to them and shared the gospel a little bit and tell them a little, little bit about myself. And they'll go, and they'll ask me, so you're, you're a Christian. I'm like, well, I, I rather just say I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ because the word Christian today doesn't really have the connotation of being what it used to mean 25 years ago. Because 99 and 9 tenths of the people who you try to witness to will tell you I'm a Christian. But when you ask him, well, if you were to die right now and you're standing before the gates of heaven and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to God? And they go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And my thing to them then is, well, if you're not sure what it takes to get into heaven, how do you know you're, you're going to heaven? Why do you think you're going to heaven? Are you saying, Lord, Lord, but you never really knew him, you know? Um... You know, the, the, the scripture says, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. God's saying, you know, I've got the books. Scripture says, he's got books. Everything that we do, our whole lifestyle. I don't know how God does it. I don't know how he can do it. I don't, I don't know how he can listen to, to all of our prayers all at one time, all over the world. I mean, 
Devil, there's so many things about God I don't understand. I don't understand more things about God than I do understanding. I mean, he's so fathomless. I've got an infinite little brain here, and he's, he's supernatural. But he writes down everything that we do, everything that we say. And one day there's going to be a judgment day that all of us are going to stand before him and judge on. You know, they're not going to put uh, you and your best friend on the pan and say, let's see which one of those, uh, you know, is the best. It's not going to put you and your boss on the pan and say, okay, let's see which one is more righteous. It's not going to put you and your pastor in the pan and say, mm, let's, let's see, you know. It's going to put Jesus in one and me in the other. And we all know how that's going to work out, don't we? And it's only by the blood of Christ that his blood covers me because I recognize it through my sinful nature that I was born into, that he was my Lord and Savior, that I, I repented of my sins and I asked him to be the Lord of my life and took that punish, punishment that I deserved. He took it on the cross and paid it. I've been redeemed, which is an accounted term, which we could get into some deep stuff later. But because of that, only because of his blood being applied to my life balances me out so that, I, so that God does it. Okay. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine, no life can be founded upon Christ's teaching unless it is founded upon the faith and the trust in his word and his teachings. If we don't know what Christ's teachings is, how do we know how to live? How do we know what right is and how do we know what wrong is? When I was six months old, I didn't know right and wrong. I just knew if I cried enough, I would get hell. I would get my, my stomach fell and I would get dry britches on. And, and if I got lonely, I would just cry. I didn't know I was doing that, but that's what I was doing. As I look back and I had my children, I realized that's all I was doing then. You know, we get our way by doing what we want to do. I didn't know what right was or wrong was. But as I got a little older and realized, you know, I think I'll cry and get some attention. It didn't work out too good, you know. I began to learn what right was and wrong was. I didn't cry when I needed something. I asked, and if they said no, I just had to learn to live with it, you know. And that's how I do with God. When I ask God, he goes, no. I'm like, yes, sir. Thank you for, for, for talking to me. See you. You know, it's like he loves me. And I know he does. Those days I'm down and I'm struggling, I can feel his love. I can feel him holding me and encouraging me and blessing me, lifting me up. That's like I know him there. If you never feel that presence in your life, just start worrying about it. Verse 25, the rain came down and it fell with a great crash. See what you got to realize that in Palestine, the country around that place, it had some very, when it rained, it was like a torrent. It was just like a, and when it began to rain and the, the waters would, would do, such a deluge would come down so fast, it would begin to rain. It would make streams like a river and it would begin to wash and, 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 and that sandy area of that desert, this place like that would begin to just wash away. It would, you know, the, the landscape would change many, many times over the years as, as that water began to run and then it would dry out and be desert again. But when it came, it would begin to move. And if there's anything built there, it would just take it all down. We've even seen that in, in, in our own country around in Mississippi and Missouri and some other places where people had built their houses on, on, on the sandy shores. They were just washed away. They were sucked right into the to rivers when all that rain came because it wasn't set on a foundation. In verse 26, everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice. So the hearer who obeys is not likened to the, is, or is likened to the foolish man who built his house on the sand, just like what he's talking about. It will get washed away. It won't stand. It will fall down, okay? But the one who builds his house on the rock, it'll stand. See, Jesus is our rock. Doesn't the scripture say that he is our rock and our foundation, our fortress? If you'll build your 
your, your house on a rock, if you'll build your life, plant it on a rock, put those roots in deep. When the storms come, you're going to stand. Don't mean it's not going to get blown away and the shingles might get blown off. We might have to put a window tube back in where, where the limbs blew off and hit it. But our house, our foundation is going to stay. Our very intimate being inside us, who we is, it's going to be there. Our morals and our values don't change if we get plugged into Jesus. We may have the temptations. We may have the, the heartaches. We may have the sickness. We may have a lot of things come against us. But there's nothing that we can't accomplish through Christ who's in us. We're going to build our house on the rock. 27, it fell with a great crash. The Lord describes the thoughtlessness of the builder who built his house on the sand. Okay, these passages tell us that, that it's not what we say, but what we do. I told my dad I'd have the grass cut by the time he got home, and I didn't do it. And there's a lot of good reasons sometimes that we don't do what we say we do. There's a lot of good reasons sometimes when we tell God we'll do something that we don't do it. But do good intentions really, how do I say it? Good intentions and not doing it really just doesn't get the, the job done. But I'm thankful for the grace that God gives us, his children. Now sometimes, like my dad did, we get a little discipline from the Lord too, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you a story. There was a carpenter who was a, a really good carpenter. He worked for a contractor. For many, many years, he had worked for this contractor, and, and he was like his lead carpenter. He built houses, and the man was well-known. The, the contractor was for his, his, his great um, crews and, and for the, 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 the uh, quality that was put into their homes. And so one day, this, this, this uh, carpenter come to his contractor, and he said, Look, you know, I'm, I'm ready to retire. I, I'm ready to uh, for me and my wife to just take it easy for a little bit. I'm getting old, you know, it, it, it's getting harder. And I, I would like to spend some time with my wife and my extended family. So I'm, I'm going to retire, you know. I, I know it, it's not going to be as easy. I don't have as much retirement saved up as I want. But, you know, we can make it. We've looked at it. Me and my wife have been praying for it for a while. And, and we, we, we know we can make it. And I'm just going to, you know, I just need to take off and, and, and spend the last, my last few years uh, just enjoying life. So the contractor was reluctant. He goes, you know, you're, you're my best, you know, you're my best partner I got, you know, and, and I'll miss you. He said, but I understand. He said, but let me ask you one thing. He said, will you build me one more house before you retire? And the guy thought about it. He says, yeah, for you. He said, for me, for me, will you build me one more house before you retire? And he agreed to do it. So he began to build the house. And as, as it went on, you know, he, he was kind of discouraged. He, he, he had already told his wife he was going to quit. And, you know, he had already had got into that mode of retirement. So as, as the work went on in the house, he began to do some shabby stuff. His work wasn't quite up to par as it was. He just, you know, he just began to let, let things slide. Some of the, the, the material wasn't right, you know, and he, he began to say, you know what, let's just, we can just save money by doing this. And so he, he really began to build a shoddy house. And he, he, he moved on, worked through the house, and the day that the contractor came to inspect the house and take a look at it, he walked over to the, he inspected the house, he walked up to the man and he gave him the keys and said, hey, this is your house. Thank you for all the years of service that you've given me. And the man looked at him and he looked at those keys and he thought to himself, wow, if I'd realized I have, was building my own house to retire in, I wouldn't have put all that shoddy material in there. I wouldn't have cut all those corners my attitude would have been a lot better and I'd have been a lot happier. 
Now I'm going to have to live in a house that's not quite up to the standards that I cut the corners on. And when I read that story years ago, I began to realize how many times in our own lives do God ask us to build a house for him. And we begin to say, you know what, I'd really rather be doing something else. And we begin to cut corners, begin to do other things. Let other things fill our life and take, take, take place in our life. And we begin to, to just do some shoddy work. You know, and I, I begin to, I can imagine what the, the contractor thought when he looked at that house. I mean, I'm sure the, the general contractor there, he knew there was some stuff going on. But he knew he was giving a house to that man. And, and I guess he was just going to let the man do what the man was going to do and learn to teach him a lesson. And sometimes that's what God does to us. He will allow us to go down a road that he knows is not good for us. He will allow us to have a bad attitude. He will allow us to have a lot of things in our life. He will allow us to even treat people bad, treat our family bad. Knowing that that's not what he has best for us. And I'm thankful that he always never leaves us that way, but he, he begins to draw us and to pull us back. There's a, a little story I read, a small story about a, the author's not known when I read it. It says there's a plaque on the wall that says, Life is do it yourself. Life is a do it yourself project. Who could say it more clearly? Your life today is the result of your attitudes and the choices in your past. Your life tomorrow will be the result of your attitudes and your choices you make today. I'm like, wow. I don't know who the author was. But it was a wise man or woman ever who wrote that. Probably was Jesus. I don't know. So, we can take a look around us and see that our society, or all around us, influences us as a church more than we as a church influence our society. Do you think that's true? I see it every day. Uh, it's pretty sad, and I say as a church, you know, when we leave here, we're still the church. Each one of us is the church, and we go out, and it's our attitudes and our choices and, and, and our lifestyle, and it's like, not keeping our globe, you know, the old hurricane lamps that they used to have and the oil lamps, you know, they used to, that's all the light they used to have. And, and I remember my grandmother going to her house as a little boy and, and, and we would sit by those little oil lamps, those hurricane lamps and stuff. And in, in the morning, I would know after breakfast, she would always take the globe off and she would always clean that thing up because it would get smoked up with that oil. And the light wouldn't be as bright at the end of the night as it was at the beginning. And I think, you know, the, the Bible tells us that we're to live in the world but not to be other world. And I think that we're supposed to go out into the world and let our light shine before men. But being in that world, it's all dirty and grimy and dirty out there. And each day we need to come home and take our globe off and begin to clean it up so that when we go out in the morning, our light is shining bright. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We need to move from glory to glory. As Christians, you know, we don't need to be satisfied with, you know, the growth that I had last year and the year before that. You know, today is a new day. We're about to come to a new year. You know, where are you at in the level you are today? We're all at different places, and I'm still going to my levels. I mean, we're never going to get to the level on this side of heaven. We continue to grow. We continue to study. We continue to read the Word. We continue to pray. We continue to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Making mistakes over and over and over, the same mistakes over and over and over, 
And never learning is like what the definition of insanity is, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. You know, as Christians, we shouldn't, we should, we're going to make mistakes, but we need to learn from those mistakes. We need to have accountability from our brothers and sisters in Christ to come to us and talk to us and share with us and, and, and let us know where we're at. Okay, way over. Got to go. Okay. So he said, eight weeks that he said, they're not all been easy. Some of them have been hard. But he said it, and we need to do it, right? So we're going to try to do it harder. I'm not going to ask you to make promises. It's kind of like New Year's resolutions. I never make those because it's like mm, we always make stuff that we know we can't do anyway, so I don't even do them. Why, why, why set myself up for failure? So I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to ask you to just allow God to just be the Lord of your life. If you're a Christian, let him be the Lord of your life. Put him, number one, he is the Lord of Lord and kings of the universe, not America, not of the world, of the universe. And we call him Lord. We should honor him at that point and listen to what he says. He's wiser than we are. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you, Father. Thankful that you are our Lord and our King, Father. Help us, Father, uh, to do your words, Father. So many times it's, it's, it seems hard, Father. We have so much pressure and attacks. We love you, Lord. We thank you that what you're doing, Father, is, uh, is precious, Father. I ask you to send peace into our homes. Ask blessings upon us, Father, financially, mentally, physically, Father. Begin to bless this church, Father. Begin to bless those who call sinners in our home, Father. Let us be, Father, a light set on a hill, Father, in this community. Let us do your work, Father. But it's going to take all of us together. And then some, Father, do what you called us here to do. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this series, Father. And I just pray that we become men and women and young people and children of action, Father. Not of this hearing the word, but be doers of your word. And I ask all of this, and Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and we thank you and praise you and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.